We just saw 10 conditions that Yoshua made when he entered the land with all of the tribes for the benefit of the settlement of the land. Uh, since we're talking about 10 and enactments, now we have another list of 10 enactments that Ezra HaSofer made when he uh, came from Babel to Eretz Israel to resettle the land of Israel at the beginning of the second Bet HaMikdash. Asarat HaKanotiken Ezra, Shekorin Bamincha BeShabbat, Vekorin BeSheni BaChamishi, Vedanin BeSheni UBaChamishi, Mechabesin BaChamishi UBeShabbat, Vechlin Shum BeAyrev Shabbat, Vesheteh Isha Meshkemet VeOfa, Vesheteh Isha Chogedet BeSina, Vesheteh Isha Chofefet VeTobelet, Vesheyu Rochlin Machazirin BaAyerot VeTiken Tebila LeBaale. First we have the list and then we're going to explain each of the items. Number one, that we should take out and read Sefer Torah on Shabbat afternoon during Mincha. And also that we read Sefer Torah on Monday and on Thursday as we do till today. And that courts should convene on Mondays and Thursdays for people to come in the cities and villages, and that people should do the laundry on Thursday. Uh, it's a good day to do it so that one will have nice, fresh, clean clothes for Shabbat, better than Friday because Friday there is other things to uh, worry about and to prepare. And furthermore, that one should eat garlic on Erev Shabbat. We'll see why. And that a woman who decides to bake should do so early in the morning. Doesn't mean that she has to wake up every morning, but on the morning that she wants to bake, she should do so early in the morning so that uh, when poor people come, they will, uh, she will be able to share with them. And that a woman should wear a breech cloth, uh, some kind of undergarment or apron, for uh, modesty purposes and that a woman should scrub uh, before or either scrub or comb her hair um, before she immerses so that there will not be any chatzitsa, any separation between either her skin and the water or her hair uh, shouldn't be knotted um, or have dirt um, so that when she does tevila it's a kosher kosher tevila, and that there should be a traveling salesman going around to different cities selling cosmetics and perfumes so that they will be readily available so that um, women can uh, keep themselves beautiful for their husbands. And furthermore, that a man who has uh, an emission should go to the, um, uh, to the mikveh. Okay, let's explain them. Uh, we should, we, uh, instituted that we should read um, Torah on Shabbat afternoon for those who are Id the idlers on the corners. Uh, people have nothing to do. They're just sitting idly. Um, either it's referring to that they're idle on Shabbat afternoon, doing nothing. So we say, you know what? We're going to have Sefer Torah. That way people will come back and they'll stay and they'll come early or stay for a shiur of Torah, and 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 uh, that'll be more encouragement uh, than just sitting on the corner doing nothing. Or maybe people who don't get to come to Bet Knesset during the week, so that they can hear that the um, uh, weekday portion at least on Shabbat afternoon, even if they can't hear it on Monday and Thursday. 
וישיר קוראים בשני בחמישה, בחמישי, אז ראתי כן, ומקרא הווה מתקנה דתניה, ולכו שלוש ימים במדבר ולא מסו מים. דור של שמות אמרו, אין מים אלא תורה, שנאמר, הוי כל סמא, לכו למים.
and so these people are in charge of the uh, communal affairs and don't work and so to correspond to them to give them honor we say we're going to learn we're going to do read 10 pesukim um, on Monday and Thursday so Ezra didn't begin the institution but he expanded it from three pesukim to ten why, do, why does the Betin um, convene on Monday and Thursday? Because that's when lots of people are there. Because they come to read Sefer Torah. See, so Misvah, Goderet Misvah. Once they're coming to learn Torah on Monday and Thursday, then also the learning people will be there and the populace will be there to make up the Betin and to come to um, judgment if they need. You should do the laundry on Thursday so that everything will be nice and ready on Friday for the honor of Shabbat. So Ezra instituted that one should eat garlic on Erev Shabbat um, so that it will get people more in, in the mood and then the husbands and wives will uh, be together on on Friday nights, that's mitzvah night, as it says in in Mizmor Aleph, um, talking about Sadikim compared to trees that are planted by streams and they bring forth their fruit at the right time in the right season. So, what does that mean? It could it's uh, well, it's, it's it is a metaphor um, that the Sadikim are like trees. So, uh, what does that mean? What's the right time and what's the bringing forth? Um, uh, 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 bringing forth fruit. So uh, Rav Yehuda and some say Rav Nachman and some say Rav Kanan, some say Rav Yochanan. Maybe they all said it. Um, is that this is one who uses the bed, who uh, fulfills the mitzvah of Ona and is with his wife every Friday night. Um, and uh, thereby they will have uh, uh, children and grow their families and that is a great mitzvah. So therefore to, um, uh, to, to uh, uh, increase that and get the couples in the mood, one should eat garlic. So since we're on the uh, subject of garlic, it, uh, garlic is very beneficial for lots of things. Uh, five matters. Number one, it uh, it's, uh, satisfies one's hunger. Um, it warms the belly. It causes one's face to shine. It increases uh, seed and men and it kills uh, lice and intestines it's probably referring to worms uh, in fact there seems to be some medical evidence according to this note here that uh, garlic is good for killing intestinal uh, uh, worms um, and uh, others say that it uh, instills love and it removes jealousy so these are all good um, the last one also will be good for um, uh, shalom bayit and uh, and have and raising uh, nice children. That when a woman decides uh, that uh, today is baking day, don't do it in the afternoon. Do it early in the morning, and then the poor people will smell the fresh bread, and they'll be able to get their breakfast and their meals for the day or even the next few days. That woman should wear these uh, breeches or 
undergarment or some say some type of apron uh, for the sake of modesty. Um, so that women should uh, comb their hair or scrub and only then go to the mikveh so that there will not be a chatzitza separation between the water and any part of their body. We ask, Ezra instituted this? This is a deoraita law. That a person has to wash his uh, flesh in water. Anyone who needs to go to the mikveh um, has the flesh has to be touching the water directly, and there cannot be any interposition between one skin and the water. So obviously, you have to scrub and wash um, any uh, just in cases any dirt or, or scabs or any anything that will be an interposition. Uh, so and the word et besado comes to include not just uh, flesh. But et besaro comes to include that which is subordinate to uh, one's flesh and one's skin, and that includes hair. And that's therefore, chofefet is specifically about scrubbing and combing one's hair so that there's no dirt or um, interpositions um, in one's hair. So all that is included in the derivation of the Torah that we already know. So what, what is this Ra adding that's new? So the answer is from a Deoraita level, it would be sufficient for a woman to uh, look to, at, at her hair, just to check it to make sure there's no knots, that would be a chatzitza, or that there's some dirt that's uh, uh, that that is disgusting. That is there, and that would be a and that would be a chatitza. So it's enough to just to do, just to check it out and uh, and see. And if you don't see anything wrong, then she could just go and dunk. Ezra came and said, a an obligation of everyone should comb their hair. Other others say refers to scrubbing. So even if you don't see any knots or any any particular dirt. Nevertheless, everybody should scrub and comb just to make sure. Uh, that there should be peddlers that are going through all the towns selling cosmetics and perfume so that women should not become unattractive to their husbands. That a man who sees in a should go to the mikveh. That's a that's a Torah law, as it says. Any man who has uh, an emission should wash his uh, body in water, so that causes baal keri. That uh, is tameh, and so if he wants to be tahor, he has to go to the mikveh. What is Ezra adding? From a Torah level, only if someone needs to be ritually pure because he's a Kohen and wants to eat Terumah, or anyone who wants to eat sacrificial meat, uh, then you have to be in a Tahor state. If you want to come to the Beta Mikdash, you have to be in a Tahor state in order to do that. But otherwise, if you're just home and you're not eating Terumah or Kodashim, there's no need to be in a Tahor state. Nowadays, everybody is Tameh. In the time of the uh, Beta and even afterwards, there were people that wanted to be tahor, uh, to be on a higher level of purity and spirituality. So they would uh, have everything, all their food, they would try to eat always when they are tahor. We have a remnant of that today, that we wash our hands before eating bread. 
uh, same reason. So really, you only have to go to the mikveh after becoming a Baal Kedi if you need to be ritually pure to eat pure food, um, uh, but not otherwise. So as Ra came and said, also to study Torah. And therefore, um, uh, uh, men, anytime they were with their wives, they would have to go and uh, go to the mikveh before they came to study Torah. This was a very difficult gezerah to, to, uh, to accomplish. And eventually, the Gemaran Berachot 22a says that it was canceled, um, uh, perhaps because people could not follow it. And therefore, this is not followed anymore today. Asara devarim uh, continuing our lists of ten, uh, there are ten special laws that have to do with the city of Yerushalayim. En abayit halut ba. A house does not get sold permanently, right? The, the, the assets are not frozen, um, whereas usually in a walled city, the Torah says, um, if someone sells it, the, the seller has a right to buy it back within one year. After a year, that's it. The buyer keeps it permanently but there are no permanent sales in Yerushalayim. Um, even after one year, the seller can buy it back. If there's a murder mystery in Yerushalayim, we, uh, uh, we do not do the uh, usual um, uh, ritual of breaking the neck of the heifer. Well, the Gemara will explain all these why. If there's a, a lot of idolatry in the city, other cities, you go, go and destroy the city. Um, but Yerushalayim, even if it would be full of idolatry, does not get destroyed. There's no nega of a bayit, uh, uh, this uh, leprous or um, uh, the, some kind of uh, fungus that spreads on, on houses that applies other other places, but houses in Yerushalayim uh, do not get uh, d- deemed impure. One may not build a projections and balconies in Yerushalayim. Gemara will explain why. You can't make uh, garbage heaps in Jerusalem. You also cannot make kilns, ovens in Yerushalayim. One cannot add more gardens or orchards in Yerushalayim um, in addition to what those, the, uh, uh, the rose gardens that were already there from before, those are grandfathered in, but no new gardens or orchard, orchards. You cannot raise chickens in Yerushalayim, and if someone dies in Yerushalayim, we take the body out, we do not leave it overnight in the city. Okay, let's explain them. Regarding most cities that are um, out in, uh, in, the, in the various uh, tribal lands of Israel, and uh, among the Shevatim, it says that if it's in a walled city, so after one year, the house becomes a permanent sale. Um, to the buyer for generations. Um, however, Yerushalayim is different because it was not apportioned to any one tribe. So if it's apportioned to one tribe, there can be a permanent sale. But if it's not apportioned to one tribe, it's uh, kind of like a common ownership. Uh, Yerushalayim is, is split up, is shared among everyone. So therefore, since it's not permanently given to one tribe, also one cannot permanently sell it 
the seller always has a right to buy it back. The pasuk about a says that if you find the body and you don't know who the murderer is, so then the closest city has to come and do the whole ritual. Um, but it says on the land that Hashem has given you as an inheritance, but Yerushalayim was not apportioned to any of the tribes. Uh, specifically as an inheritance, and therefore this law cannot apply there. And also regarding a idolatrous city, it says if you should find one of your cities where uh, the idolatry has spread, but it says your cities, but Yerushalayim is not one of your cities in particular because it's shared by all the Shevatim. And regarding leprosy of the house, it says, um, if there, uh, uh, the Hashem will bring this sada'at in the house of your in, uh, inherited property. Uh, but Yerushalayim is not apportioned to any one tribe, and therefore it cannot be called your possession. The your is not, we're understanding it not to be B'nai Israel in general, but your meaning for each Shevet. Um, when you're building your, your homes um, and buildings in Jerusalem, you're not allowed to build projections and balconies for two reasons. Number one, that it will create an ohel, a tent. And if there is any uh, uh, impure corpse impurity underneath, even buried down, then uh, someone who walks under that balcony will become Tameh through tent impurity. And so in Yerushalayim, there's lots of Kohanim and lots of other people that are coming there and want to be Tahor and are eating Kodashim and lots of meat that is Kodesh. And so in order to make sure that Tum'ah, even if we don't see it, will not spread, so we don't want any overhangs and balconies. Also, you don't want anything sticking out um, into the pathways because uh, during holiday season lots of pilgrims come and they fill the streets and then if you have all kinds of projectiles and people bumping out their homes then they won't have room to walk. No garbage dumps in Jerusalem because garbage dumps will bring uh, rats and creepy crawlies and then any of the shikatsim when they die they cause uh, impurity. And there are different shirasim, and we don't want to have want to have impurity in the city of Jerusalem where people are eating kodashim. And no big ovens in Jerusalem because they make smoke, and then it's going to be all smoggy in Yerushalayim, and we want it to be beautiful. Now gardens and orchards, although they are beautiful in themselves, but to keep them up, you have to bring fertilizer that smells, and so we don't want the bad smell in Yerushalayim. No chickens, as we saw earlier, because chickens go and peck in the garbage and then they take this uh, uh, stuff from the garbage that is Tameh and they and they spread it around and then that will spread Tum'ah even to Kodashim. And the fact that you cannot have a corpse stay in Jerusalem overnight is a tradition, although it's not so hard to figure out some explanation. We saw so many of these things were because of Tum'ah and of 
a corpse is avi avot hatumah and will cause tent impurity in any house that it's in. Um, and so, for the sanctity of Yerushalayim, we take the even if the bodies are not yet re- yet ready to be buried, we do not uh, leave them in Yerushalayim overnight. We next go all the way back to the Mishnah that said, "En megadelin chazirin makom." One is not allowed to raise pigs any in any place. So now we have a story about pigs. This is a very important historical story about the Hasmoneans that one what besieged the other. We're talking about the two sons of Shlom Sion Hamalka, um, Salome Alexandra. She was known to be a very righteous queen. She was the only regnant queen that we had in the during the second Bet HaMikdash period. And there's a street named after her uh, right uh, off of David Citadel in Yerushalayim nowadays. She followed the Pharisees and was beloved and there was peace during her time. Uh, while she was uh, the queen um, she obviously could not also serve as Kohen Gadol, um, unlike most of the Hashmonaim who were men, who were both the king and were Kohen Gadol, which is a separate problem that they combined the kingship with Kehunah Gedolah. But anyway, all the people before her were both. So she was queen, and she appointed her older son, Hurkinus. Um, that's Hurkinus II. There's a lot of people named Hurkinus. Anyway, this is Salome Alexandra's son. Hurkinus was the Kohen Gadol while she was alive. After she died, so... Uh, Hyrcanus, as being the oldest, would be expected to be the next, not only Kohen Gadol, but also the next king. Um, however, there was a younger brother named Aristobulus, and Aristobulus, he was uh, stronger um, and a uh, bigger personality than Hyrcanus, who was more shy. And Aristobulus said, I want to be the king, I want to be Kohen Gadol. And so he came with an army and kicked Hyrcanus out, and he established himself as the ruler, but Hurkanos uh, did uh, not uh, stop uh, trying, and Hurkanos came back and um, uh, tried to uh, tried to fight back um, against Aristobulus. So that's the context of the siege here. Now, in this version of the story, it uh, says that Hurkanos was inside, and Aristobulus was inside the walls of Jerusalem, and they they besieged themselves inside, and Aristobulus and his army was outside. Um, however, historically, it was the reverse, and in fact, there are uh, other versions of this, and here's one in Masechet Sota, where it says the same story, but here, um, So Hyrcanus is the one outside, and Aristobulus is the one inside. So we have two Gemariot that are against each other, and we can decide, uh, Josephus. Um, who was much closer to the time and place, and as um, other historical records tells us the story in all in more detail, and it's worth reading. So it says when the 
Kohanim and Aristobulus were besieged. So they were inside. They already went in and had kicked out Hyrcanus, and he made himself Kohen Gadol. And so um, uh, it happened uh, uh, during Pesach. Uh, that came, and it was our custom to have a lot of korbanot, but those that were with Aristobulus wanted sacrifices and desired that the countrymen would, without, would furnish them with such sacrifices. So Aristobulus was inside, and there's a siege, and right, they're besieged in Jerusalem. And now within the, within the old city, walls of Jerusalem, there's not a lot of room to graze uh, uh, um, uh, um, animals. So there's very few sheep and goats inside. So they rely on the people outside, the farms, the, 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 to bring um, uh, uh, sacrifices. Uh, but the people outside are the enemies, are Hyrcanus and his group. And um, so are they going to be able to cooperate? So they tried to cooperate and assured them they should have as much money for them as should they should desire. So Aristobulus inside said, we'll pay any amount Right, because we, we just want to continue the sacrifices, especially as Pesach is coming up. And actually every day we have to bring the sacrifices. And when they require them to pay a thousand drachma for every head of cattle, a huge number, a thousand, Aristobulus and the, and the Kohanim willingly undertook to pay for them accordingly. So, well, we got to do it, right? This is the Avodah. We have to keep it going. And those who within let down the money over the walls and gave it to them, right? So the people inside put the money in a basket and lowered it down the wall. But when the people outside had received it, they did not deliver the, deliver the sacrifices, but arrived at the height of wickedness to break the promises that they had given and be guilty of impiety towards God by not furnishing those that wanted them with sacrifices. So, you know, it's one thing to be um, at war with each other, a civil war, which is really, really bad. Um, that this civil war was the end of the Hasmonean dynasty. Um, each of the sides called in help from the Romans and the Romans were happy to come. And that's it. That was the end of uh, political independence and sovereignty. So this civil war was really terrible. But to add insult to injury, um, they also couldn't uh, get along and cooperate to keep the korbanot, even the korban tamid, uh, going. And so the people outside did not keep their promise. And when the Kohanim found that they had been cheated and the agreements they had made were violated, they prayed to Hashem that he should avenge them on their, on their countrymen. Nor did God delay that their punishment, um, but sent a strong storm of wind that destroyed the fruits of the whole country till a little bit of wheat was bought for 11 drachma. Uh, so a terrible ending to this uh, tragic story. Uh, anyway, uh, we see that, in fact, uh, both in Masechet Sota and in Josephus, um, it's Aristobulus that is inside. So, back to the this version of the story. And this here, this says, similar to Josephus, with some slight differences. And, uh, every day, they would, uh, the people inside would lower money down in a basket, um, and uh, the people outside would send sheep up. So according to this version, they were cooperating, in fact, for some time, and so at least they got the, the uh, korban tamid in the morning and afternoon. They got two animals in, and they were able to keep the regular service going. However, Hayasham there was a certain elder there who knew Greek wisdom. What is Greek wisdom referring to? 
Um, you note that in the Talmud Yerushalmi, it talks about Greek, and one is one allowed to, to teach his son or daughter Greek. Um, but here, this is in the this story is in the Bavli. The Talmud Bavli talks about Chochmat uh, Yevanit, the wisdom of Greek, um, because in Bavel they didn't teach Greek language, but those who were more Hellenized would would teach Greek wisdom. They might do it in uh, in uh, in other languages. So this is about Greek culture, maybe learning uh, Homer or uh, like in the gymnasium sports or other aspects of Greek entertainment and knowledge, philosophy, science, whatever it is, um, or can all be classified under Chochmat Yevanit. Now, in this case, this elder who was familiar, familiar with Greek wisdom told uh, the army outside uh, that as long as the people inside are continuing the Beit HaMikdash service, um, you will not be, they will not be delivered into your hands. In other words, you guys outside, you're providing sheep every day to the people inside, and by providing that sheep, you're giving them ultimate protection because the Beit HaMikdash and its holiness and its continued service are protecting the walls and everyone inside. So you won't be able to win until you stop doing so. So this Greek elder, this, this elder here is not is giving them uh, really information that will end up causing the uh, stopping of the Beit HaMikdash service and the destruction of Jerusalem and this whole civil war that ensued and the terrible punishment that comes after. So uh, this uh, Greek, uh, this elder is uh, really uh, not a good guy. Now, why, why is it important that he knows he's familiar with Greek wisdom? What does the Greek wisdom have to do with his knowledge? I mean, if anything, he, he knows that the Beit HaMikdash is important and, prote- and offers protection. What, why does he have to know that? But he doesn't, doesn't learn that from Greek wisdom. He can know that just from, from uh, Jewish wisdom. So what is this Chochmat Yevanit? There's two possibilities. One is that um, because he was Hellenized, he is assimilated, so he doesn't care about the Beit HaMikdash, he doesn't care about the, the Jewish people very much, and so he's happy to see that even though he's Jewish himself, he uh, is happy to see the Jews um, be destroyed. Um, it doesn't actually say he's Jewish, but it seems that he is, because he's like he sounds like he's a Jew, he's an elder, but he knows Chochmat Yevanit, so maybe he's a traitor, to the Jews, and that's um, uh, because he's more aligned with the with the Greeks. This is um, and and uh, uh, outside influence, um, and so therefore uh, he gave them this uh, terrible advice. I mean, it was advice that worked, but um, it was harmful to the nation. That's one possibility. Um, and it, it, because of this, afterwards, the rabbi said one is not allowed to teach his son Greek um, because, right, it just leads people into um, uh, to being more accustomed and assimilating. That's all one. Po- Second possibility is that Chochmat Yevanit refers specifically to, um, in, in this case at least, to pantomime. Uh, this is part of Greek theater. Uh, these theaters were very large and they did not have, um, you know, sound systems and microphones. So actors would have to act out the uh, what they were doing so that even people far away even if they couldn't hear every word would be able to uh, see visually and that's ended up with uh, miming which was very important and popular during uh, Roman times uh, where like today they were silent and they would have to act everything out and you could tell what they were doing so if this elder was inside the walls of Jerusalem and he wanted to get a message outside um, without drawing too much attention and shouting 
shouting over the wall, hey, stop uh, bringing sacrifices, then, then they would have killed him inside. Um, so instead, he can use this uh, knowledge of a pantomime or some kind of secret code that only certain people would know outside. And so he used Chochmat Yevanit in order to get this message from inside to outside the wall. Okay, in any case, he delivers this message and they get it. And on the next day, when the people inside lower down the money, the people outside, instead of putting a sheep, they put a pig into the basket. And as the people inside are holding it up, it got up to, it got halfway up and the pig stuck its nails um, into the, or hooves into the wall. And Eretz Israel had an earthquake that um, reached 400 uh, uh, parsangs by 400 parsangs. Uh, but this may refer to a storm, right? Josephus uh, said that immediately when this happened, the Kohanim inside prayed that um, there should be destruction to the people outside, and then there was a storm, and so this could be referring to a wind and storm and earthquake um, that is a parallel in Josephus. And the result of this storm is At that time, the sage said, Cursed is anyone who who raises pigs because a pig was involved in this terrible incident so you know what why is there why do you even have a pig here are you eating it are you selling it all that's prohibited anyway so that shows something negative and the a pig was involved in this story so they said um, not only is it not permitted that we knew before but now there's even a curse against anyone who raises pigs and also cursed is anyone who teaches his son Greek wisdom um, uh, because Greek wisdom was used in this case either to deliver the message or because it influenced uh, at least this guy uh, to assimilate and um, and look out for the destruction of Yerushalayim. And so they, uh, pr they uh, put a ban and cursed anyone who would teach his son. Um, here, Greek wisdom, again, in the, uh, the Bavli is Greek wisdom, um, because in Persia they weren't speaking Greek anyway, in the, in the Mishnah and Tamud Yerushalmi, it's actually Greek, meaning Greek language, although with Greek language comes reading uh, things in Greek, which would um, uh, be associated with Greek culture and knowledge. Okay, at that, on that, uh, because at that incident, we learned um, that as, as a result of this terrible um, uh, a storm that came and plague, so the crops were destroyed. That uh, they, in order to bring the omed, uh, just an omed, a size of uh, uh, a measurement of barley for on uh, and the beginning of Pesach, they had to go so far away, all the way to the gardens of Sirifin, and when they had to bring the, the wheat for the two loaves on Shavuot, they had to go all the way to the valley of En Soher, which also is far away because all the farms and the produce everywhere and uh, near Jerusalem were destroyed, and that's how bad the, the destruction was. So very important and instructive story. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.